What's up again? So glad that you are here, and I want to be full disclosure right up front. This is going to be tough, okay? <laughs> this is going to be a hard one because we're talking about marriages, families, relationships, communication, and anytime you start talking about family, relationships, uh, there's just a past, right? Uh, I don't know what your family was like growing up, but you do. I don't know what your relationship was like with your parents, but you do. I don't know what it's like with your relationship between your brothers and sisters currently, but you do, with your marriages right now. I don't, but you do, and so I can't, I don't want to pretend like I'm speaking about something that doesn't bring up a ton of baggage, emotions and feelings and hurts and positives. Um, so I'm just recognizing that up front, and I'm saying we're going to speak with full of grace, but also full of truth. Um, we're going to test those two songs that we just sung worshiped, did whatever we just did, because those words stated that if all of you, is all of you really enough for me? And if that's true, then fill me, and then I'll leave. It's one thing to sing and worship and say, but I'm telling you, we're going to test that, because there's no way I can live God's word out when it comes to relationships if I don't say your way, not my way, because all of us have a way. All of us are going to have to hear this word and actually imply it. But if we do, you'll demonstrate, you'll see a difference. So I'm telling you up front, it's going to be a tough one, but it's worth it. The series, we're talking about strong marriages, uh, the one another's in the New Testament, how to treat one another, and so that we can then treat others. I mean, that's what really starts with a family. You leave a great legacy or you leave a difficult legacy for those in, your, in, in the future, right? And depending upon how you were treated, oftentimes then you go treat other people. And so how do we treat one another? That's what we're going to be talking about. And I'm just be upfront with you as well. Like, hey, listen, my marriage, my wife and I, there have been moments when we've settled. You know, just the way that I call it, I guess we settled. We've been like, um, I guess this is just the way it's going to be. You know, like this is as good as it's going to get. This is the best I can expect. And so we just like, all right, I guess this is what it's going to be. You know, um, you don't bring up those conversations, those struggles, because you know exactly what's going to happen when you start talking about it, don't you? And it just keeps rinsing and repeating, and then some seasons there's more of that than others. But that's not what God wants for you. That's not what God wanted for us, and thankfully we were able to experience, like we know that's not what God wanted, and he has a plan for you. God wants you to have great relationships, and I don't know if you know this or not, but he gives very ridiculously practical and great advice for you to experience that. And we're gonna hear it, but I'm telling you, I'm getting it, I'm telling you, like, it's up to you what you're gonna do with it. Hey, if you're not a Christian, I'm so glad that you were here because you get to hear these words and you're gonna have to make a choice. Even if I don't believe all of this, will I apply it? And Christians in the room are listening online, watching online. Listen, you're gonna have to make the decision. You can hear the greatest piece of advice, but if you don't do something with it, what is it? It's just words. So this isn't something we need to hear. This is something we need to apply because if those words that we just sang are true, more of you, less of me, we want more of what you want in our lives. And here's just two. Oh, hey, if you missed that message last week, that was, um, we talked about three biblical foundations for marriages. I really encourage you to go check them out online and listen to the podcast. 
Here's two little tiny snippets of what Jesus wants for you. God wants for your marriage and your relationships. Jesus said in Mark 9, be at peace with one another. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 12 says, live in harmony <laughs> with one another. Peace, harmony, you experiencing that in your relationships at home? I don't know. Again, I don't know, but you do. And what we're going to find today is this. So much of this peace and harmony that God wants for your marriage, wants for your family, wants for your relationship, has to do with our words. Our words go a long way in helping or realizing or experiencing the peace and harmony that God wants for you and your family. I haven't been following it, but I know enough about it, this whole trial or whatever with Johnny Depp and... Um, Amanda, Amber, whatever, heard something like that, whatever, sorry, I don't know. The, but that trial, again, I know enough to ask you this question. <laughs> well, what if everything you've said in the past week or month <laughs> has been captured on video and then shown online? What emotion does that elicit out of you right now? Totally cool, whatever, or like horrifying? I don't know. You know kind of the idea of maybe what you've said and what I haven't said. Here's words matter. Words matter, and this is what we got to deal with it. We can pretend like my personality or my whatever or the way that we do things are okay, but maybe it's not, and most likely we've got room to grow so that we can experience what God wants for us. But again, your choice is going to be what do you do with it. A while ago, uh, uh, Dave Carlson, an author, wrote about, did this study, uh, counseling practices, and they asked all the counselors, hey, what's the number one problem that you're seeing people come to you with? And they said when it comes to marriage and family, the number one by far, 80%, over 80% of the time, the number one issue between marriages and families is communication. Communication is the number one issues for families. So many, too many families have very poor communication or no communication whatsoever. And even more and more nowadays, you know that families spend less and less time together. We're busy. We go all over the place. Um, and, that, and honestly, it's probably somewhat from the consequences of that that we don't spend as much time. I mean, like we don't play face, you know, like uh, games together, card games, board games, lots of reasons why we don't. And over time and consequences, we don't spend time together. So we can even begin to be even more poor. Part of the reason may be because we, when we do get together and talk, maybe we treat each other like interruptions and distractions, and we're negative and sarcastic, and it's always met with whatever, this negative, pessimistic, nasty, snide, rude comments, and who would want to be in a room with people like that? And so then we don't spend each time with each other, and the more we don't spend time communicating with each other, the worse we're going to get, and so it just continues to repeat the cycle, doesn't it? So here's the deal. If communication is the number one thing that some of us or all of us struggle with and God's got wisdom for us, what are we going to do about it? And here's what I want to challenge you. <laughs> hey, let's do something. Let's commit to do something about it. My grandfather, we called him Paul Paul. He used to always say to me, or often he would say to me, boy, don't work harder, work smarter, right? And as a kid, I didn't often take his advice. But as an adult, now I realize how the wisdom in that, listen, there's a lot of things that a lot of us are just doing dumb, okay? We're just acting dumb in our marriages, in our relationships, and our all over the place. And if we learn some of these things that we're going to learn today, if we put them into practice, you would be working smarter, not harder, and it would make your life a lot easier and those around you, their lives a lot easier as well. But do you believe that? I, I can't make you believe it. So again, I want you to begin to think about, or at least to try to believe that it can change. It can get better. It can not just get better today, it can change legacy. Like you can leave a different legacy for the next generation and your family. It can change. 
Do you believe that? And will you do what's necessary? Just like that song said, more him, maybe that means less of me in my way. Here's our big idea today. It's pretty simple. Control your conversation. <laughs> Control your conversation. Every single word that comes out of this thing right here is my choice. You can make it easier, you can make it harder, but it's my choice. Every word that comes out of this, and the same thing for you. No one controls what you say. No one chooses the words that come out of your mouth. You do. We've got to take ownership for the words that we say and how we make others feel. You can change. You can change how you say things. You can change the tone in which you say things. You can change the attitude. You can change the impulses. You can change what you say. Will you? Control our conversation. Because our words, man, can either build up or tear it down. So important. Our words make a huge difference. Will you control your... And if you're a Christian in the room, I just want to recognize this. Hey, we gave our lives to Christ and we have the Holy Spirit. And so we said, we give you control, Holy Spirit. And so if we're ever in those moments where we're taking control back from the Holy Spirit, that's dangerous. That's on you. That's on me. Because we give control of the Holy Spirit. Plus, we have God's Word so that we can filter our words with God's Word to say, some of these words, we should never, they should never come out of our mouths. Because we know what God's Word says. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Three things that all good communication requires. We're going to learn them, but I hope that you begin to apply them. Number one, good communication includes listening. Good communication includes listening. We always want to start with explaining, but good communication starts with good listening. I'm telling you, if you put more energy and effort into listening better, whew, this is working smarter, not harder. Don't worry as much about explaining yourself. Get better at listening. James gives us some really good encouragement or advice, but it's really more of a command because it's under our control. Please say this with me. James 1, 19, it's going to be on the screen. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Does that describe us? Quick. Quick to hear, to listen. When your wife or husband or kids or parents are talking, what are you doing? Are we so quick to cut them off they can't even finish their sentences? Or we're being so noble and listening while they're talking, we're thinking about our response. Or tearing apart every single thing that they said. I don't like that word. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, that's right. Or that, is that what we're doing? That's not listening. That's quietly explaining and arguing. Are we listening? Do we allow the other person to actually say something, get their full thought out? And when they say it, do we respond or do we seek understanding? Do I ask questions first or do I make statements? Wait a minute, is this what you said? Or is this what you mean? I'm seeking understanding, that's listening. The purpose of listening is to understand, not to assume that I understand or assume that I know your intent. So then you repeat back. Once you've listened, you repeat back. Hey, is this, is this what you're saying? When I do this, or you would like for me to stop doing that because it makes you feel like you're worthless or rejected. Yes, yeah, that's exactly what, that's exactly what I'm saying. You know what? You're going to get there. It's just you're going to get there five hours later or three days later after you fought and said some of the ugliest, most horrible things that you're going to all regret. You're going to get there. It wasn't the 500 things you said that's the issue. It's the one thing. So why not spend more time and energy finding that out in the beginning instead of going through all the dumb stuff that we do? Work smarter, not harder. Those words you can't take back. Listen, give full attention when you're listening too. 
No, you're a horrible multi- multitasker, so don't pretend like you are. And regardless, when you're on your phone or typing on the computer, watching TV, it just comes across as like you don't care. I don't care who you are. Just, that's the way it is. So turn it off and give them your full attention. Listen, seek understanding, repeat back. Make sure you're on the same page. And then hopefully you can learn to do that for one another. Listen, I've spent months of my life fixing things that Cindy never wanted me to. Like, how frustrating. But you said, well, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. Well, that's not what I meant. <laughs> and then for months, I'm like working my tail off to make her happy, and she's not even, that's not what she said. It's frustrating. Work smarter, not harder. Solomon knew this 1,000 years ago when he said, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Ooh, that hurts, doesn't it? What does that mean? When I'm trying to express my opinion and not seeking understanding, I'm acting like a fool. Sometimes it starts with listening. Be a good listener. The more energy you put towards listening, I promise you it's going to get better. But sometimes words have to come out. And let's face it, have you ever gotten in trouble for what you said? Yeah. So here's number two. Good communication does require speaking, but you can restrain that speaking, okay? Restrain that speaking. I control what comes out of this mouth. And uh, sometimes what comes out of this mouth is, is based on emotion. So whatever conversation we're in, I could be jealous, I could be angry, I can be greedy, I can be all kinds of things. Anger is a tough one, right? Because it's, yes, it is just an emotion, but sometimes what it leads us to do or say is rough when we're angry. That's why he says, be slow to anger. And one of the ways to be slow to anger is not to assume what they meant, not to assume the feelings, not to assume that they indicted me, but to gain understanding. And the more understanding that we get, the slower to anger I can become. Here's what James goes on to say as well. Because as we got to hear this, this is a tough one to hear. Because there's few things in this life more than our words that really truly demonstrate what kind of faith I have. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That's tough to hear, man. Understand this. I don't care. That religion of yours ain't so awesome. It's kind of worthless the way that you're talking to me right now. I don't want to have anything to do with that religion, the way I hear you talking to that waitress or flight attendant. I don't want anything to do with that religion whatsoever. That's worthless. Because what I hear come out of your mouth, man, I don't have anything to do with that. And our words demonstrate the integrity of our faith or show the hypocrisy of it probably better than just about anything else. That's tough to hear, isn't it? Because we say, well, that's just the way I talk. I'm just an unfiltered person. No, you're not. You're a selfish sinner just like me. And our words show what's really happening often. Don't, don't just see it's James. I'm telling you, we need to hear this because Jesus goes on to say this. <laughs> Matthew 12, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Whew. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. Does that give you reason to pause? It sure does for me, man. That's sobering. Remember that you know, phrase, sticks and stones may break, my, I mean, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, right? We know that's the biggest lie, right? It's just, man, some words haunt you for the rest of your life. And your words don't just hurt people, they become a stumbling block to others, all right? Jesus says, your words, I'm accountable, I'm accountable to them. We gotta recognize that our mouths, man, 
They're doing damage. They can either build up or tear down. And when we're tearing people down, it's doing damage. And it's not just on judgment day that we're going to be held accountable. You're being held accountable and experiencing the consequences of them today, especially when you're young. Have you seen the way that sometimes parents talk to the kids out in public? I can't even imagine what they talk like in private. It's pretty ugly. What are our words like to each other? Some of the consequences that we're experiencing, some of the things that your parents maybe said to you or your teachers or friends, someone said to you and you haven't forgotten for 40 years. We know words are powerful. Then why do we act the way we do? Because like what we worshiped earlier, we said like, you know, more of you means less of me, but we don't really mean it in those moments because I'm going to do it my way, God. And when you do it your way, guess what? I'm going to experience what I get, consequences, my choices. It's not God, it's me. James goes on, man, it's like he, this is creepy, dude, because he's like he knows us. He's like he's been living with us and like watching us kind of thing. This tongue is set among our members, our body, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. It's restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Yeah, we're up here praising Jesus at home or here. What's it going to sound like at Applebee's or at Coney Island or at home later? What did it sound like on the car ride over here this morning? I don't know, but you do. With the same mouth. What is cursing, right? We want a list of words so that we can use all the other million words however we want to use them. Trust me, it's not a list of words. Language changes with cultures and time, but you know when you're cursing because it's when you have evil intent, mal intent, when you are choosing to harm, degrade, demean, mean-spirited. That's cursing. When you're putting someone down, when you are saying things that are not true of them, I, I, I do, it is a list swear words, cuss words, whatever you even call them. It seems more prevalent than ever, like everybody, even Christians. Like we just don't care about our words. We can say whatever we want and think it's okay, but it hurts. No, we shouldn't. Any language that's ungodly, that's tearing people down, it's cursing. Like when you perverted jokes, perverted conversations, when you're talking about a child of God like that, it's wrong. It's cursing. Gossip and slander when you're saying things that are not true or intended to make the person look bad or make you feel good or look good. It's wrong. It's cursing. Anything that you're going to, you wouldn't want your kids to say or said in front of your kid or to your kid. I'm like, it's not rocket science. We know what cursing is. We just want to do it. So we want a list of words so I can say, well, I didn't say those words and be okay, justified in what I said to you, even though I knew I was trying to tear you down. And beyond the vulgar and the nasty stuff that we say, blasphemous. Now, we say words when we talk about a child of God, a creation of God, and we treat them like a piece of trash. Or when we talk about God, use his name or Jesus' name in vain or in some coarse, nasty way that we want to use it. Or when we talk to God or about God like he's some inferior servant that we get to do whatever we want to with. These are words that we choose to do what we do with them. It's my choice. Here's another way that, and this is what we're going to sit on for a second, is because this is sometimes a way that we curse one another and we don't even realize it, or we don't even think that it is cursing one another. It's when we complain <laughs> and argue. Philippians 2.14, do everything without complaining or arguing. <laughs> everything? <laughs> really? I don't know this is what it says, though, right? Complaining and arguing. And you're like, well, I'm, that's not me because I'm not a negative person. 
Hey, listen, I don't know. I'm not saying you are or are not. I'm saying if you want to know, <laughs> I know how to find out. Ask the people that you're around a lot. But be careful, because <laughs> when you ask them that question, you can't complain about their answer, <laughs> right? You got to ask them. I don't know, but I have a feeling a lot of us go to the default of complaining, just griping, complaining about everything and anything, anytime. And we say, it's okay, it's, it's just me. No, it gets old, man, it just gets old. You know how to ruin a perfectly good marriage? marriage? I'll give you one of the quickest ways to do it. Nitpick your spouse to death. The way you drive, stupid. The way he chews, oh my gosh, so annoying. The way you sleep, ugh. The way you sit down, the way you walk, the way you do, oh my gosh. You cut those vegetables like an idiot. Are you serious? Like everything, seriously, wake up in the morning and say, good morning, honey, you're annoying. Come home from work at night, hey, I'm home, you're still annoying. And at night, go to bed, and before you go to bed, love you, babe, you're annoying. There you go. That's nitpicking constantly. And we laugh somewhat because I say it in such a way, and yet, what a miserable experience, right? And I think the sad thing is maybe we're closer to that than we realize sometimes. We can just default to being a nitpicker, constantly complaining, kids in the room, listen, listening, watching. You want to whine. You whine and all the time. Maybe if you stopped whining, maybe you'd actually get what you want a little bit more often. But you know what? Parents, before you get mad at your kids for the way they're being mouthy with you, how do you talk to them? What's your example? And how do you talk to your spouse in front of them? Hmm. Are they just doing what you do? But they're getting in trouble for it? Husbands, maybe if you stopped criticizing so much, she'd warm up to you a little bit more. Criticizing ain't going to warm that hard up much. Ladies, wives, maybe if you nagged a little less, he'd want to spend a little bit more time with you. Maybe I don't want to be told how much I can't do whatever all the time, as helpful as it is. The light's green. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Proverbs. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Woo! <laughs> how the guys were like low-key, silently like, thank you, Jesus. Woo! <laughs> Spirit's moving. Preach it, man. Yeah, you got this. Uh-huh. That guy was married to a thousand women too, okay? So like <laughs> he knows what he's talking about, all right? Don't worry, ladies. I got something for you. That's got one for you. It is better to live in a dumpy little apartment alone than to be married to some mean-spirited, unappreciative jerk of a husband. Book of Reprisals 2119. I even heard some yes, all right? No, the Book of Reprisals, that doesn't exist. I made that one up, okay? So <laughs> it's not Bible, okay? I made it up, all right? But this one is Proverbs 26, 21. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing, man. You can't, don't play dumb. You know those trigger words. You know when you say that, you know exactly what's going to happen in your wife or in your girlfriend. You know exactly what's going to happen. You know when you don't say a word and sit there in silence, you know exactly what's going to happen. You know that tone that you take. You know when you raise your voice, you know exactly what's going to happen. So don't play dumb. You can't. That's on you. Choose your words. Choose your tone better. That's on you. You know you're striking up a fire. You know what's going to happen. So stop. And yet we don't, do we? We blame the other person. That's just us. We just settle. It's just, that's us. That's the way we do it. No. I mean, it is the way you're doing it. It's definitely not the way God wants you to do it. And there's more. There's better. Do you believe it? 
It's gonna take changing. So here's a challenge that if you did, if you took this, I'm telling you, you would experience change right now. At least a moment of just change. And then it can lead to something beautiful, a change in the legacy. Because now we realize our tongues have power to change the future, to build up or to tear down. So here's a seven-day challenge, one week without complaining, arguing, or criticizing. <laughs> Some of you are like, I ain't gonna make 24 hours. I ain't gonna make five hours, you know, like, all right. Yeah, you may not make it seven days without complaining, arguing, or grumbling. And that's okay, but will you try it? Don't go home and assume everybody has to do it. Go home, have the conversation. Babe, do you want to do this? Let's do this. I'm, I'm in if you're in. Let's do this. Or I'm in, and do you want to be in with me? Don't make your kids. Ask your kids and tell your kids, hey, I'm going to do this. If you want to, I'd love for you to do it, but I'm doing it. All right? Do it. Go for it. And then, if you don't make it those seven days, when you do argue, this isn't like real discipline when you have to talk about something, but this is when you're just going off, being a gripey, whatever, an annoying person sometimes that we can be sometimes. Then when they do that, give your, give your family, those around you, if your friends, someone that you're going to tell this to, give them permission, give them a code word or something so that they remind you, hey, remember, you told me that I had permission to tell you need to stop because you're complaining and arguing. Here's a word that you can use. That's whack. That's whack. That's whack. It's actually an acronym, do all things without arguing or complaining. Yes, it's a ridiculously dumb word, okay? That's part of the point, because like, how can you not, how can you be serious when you say that's whack? You're going to laugh or feel like a dummy, okay? And that's part of it. You remember that it's not about the moment, it's about the commitment that we're trying to keep, and so you say that's whack. So you're at the dinner table or whatever, and you're like, ah, oh, chicken again? <sighs> Honey? That's whack, <laughs> right? You're in the car driving, the light's green. <sighs> Honey, that's whack, you know? Like, I'm keeping it cool, you know? Like, that's whack. Your kids, you're arguing, yelling, something about games or whatever, they got mistreated or something. Hey, kids, whew, that's whack, that's whack, right? You're remembering, you're helping one another. You're not fixing the whole world to this week, but you're remembering and you're trying to create something that will move you in a better direction. Because when we complain, we are stabbing each other. And every time we stab each other, they have to heal. So we're just going to try to stop stabbing each other so much, making it difficult. Do you believe that things can change? Do you want things to change? I know you do. It's going to take you to change. Are you willing? I told you. We're going to test those verses, those songs that we sang. Are you willing? More of him means less of you, less of your way, less of your attitude, less of me, less of me, less of my way, and more of his way. But if you experience and practice it and apply it, you're going to experience the consequences as well. Number three, once we've got listening, we're learning listening, and we're restraining some of those negative words, what do we fill our house with? Good communication includes speaking encouraging words. I heard a long time ago, there's no real stats to this that I know of, but I heard like in most typical, your typical home, for every one positive, you get 10 negatives. You hear 10 negative things for every one positive thing you might hear. Even if it's five things. What, we, what if we flip the switch on that? And we said, you know what, in our house, we're gonna make sure for every one negative you hear, you're gonna get at least five or 10 positives. Again, I don't mean a trophy for every kid, I'm just saying like encouraging words in our house. Wouldn't that be life-giving? Wouldn't that be pretty amazing? When you were dating each other as a couple, you know, you used to say things like all the time, like, I love you. 
honey bunny. Sugar booger. Man, the fire alarm keeps going off every time you come in this room and you're so hot. You know, all these weird, ridiculous, silly things that we would say to each other that you would never say in front of everybody else, but you said to each other because you loved each other and you were trying to show each other how much you love you and care about each other. Hey, don't use those lines on your kids, obviously. That's weird, but you, you can say, I love you. I'm proud of you. I care about you. And what are you into? Like, there's lots of things you can say that are positive. Yes, you can assume that they know that you like them. You can assume that they know that you're proud of them, but you can tell them as well because your words matter and they're powerful. Again, we gotta stop being stubborn and listen to what God said a long time ago in Proverbs. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I don't care. Some of you know that love language stuff, the five love, those are great things. I don't care who you are. When you hear something kind, it speaks life to you. End of story. So speak life to people. Use your words to do something that matter instead of just carelessly, flippantly make everybody suffer the wrath of Mark Essek. Whatever is in my mind, my personality. The psalmist, this hit me, man. I don't know, I was, actually, there was a verse in my head that was coming up and I was like, oh, that's not the, what the verse said. Then I found, <laughs> anyways, this verse, I, what joy for those who can live in your house, always singing your praises. This is the psalmist describing God's house. It's a beautiful place to live because it's full of praise. What's my house full of? What's your house full of? What are you filling your house with? You have choice. It's no one else's fault. What are you filling your house with? What are you filling your marriage with? What are you going to do? Now that you know, you have a choice. Again, our big idea, control your conversation. This is not a young person or old person's message. This is for every single one of us. You can transform the future of your family by allowing God to change you, but it doesn't happen on the outside. It happens on the inside. This is that work smarter, not harder. You try to fix all this stuff on the outside, change all these words and things like that, which are important, but if you don't change what's in here, the heart, Man, you're working harder, not smarter. Jesus says it's what's in here that changes what comes out of here. Matthew 12, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The truth is my heart is messed up at times. And when my heart's messed up, what comes out's messed up. So get this straight, and it's gonna make this change a lot. You can work on both at the same time, though. So no excuses. And if you're a Christian watching here in this room, man, we've got the Holy Spirit. So we are fighting the Holy Spirit. We are taking control away from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to transform, continually have a pure, righteous heart that my mouth speaks out of that abundance of goodness that's stored up in it. What have you been storing? If you want that heart, and that's what we want you to have it. That's what God wants for you. How do you receive that heart? To know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sin. And so now, what, how do I receive it? It's, I repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. Sorry for all the words I've said. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done against you. I apologize. And I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And if you believe Jesus who he says he is, confess with your mouth that he is who he says he is, Scripture says you will be saved. When you're baptized, then you receive forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit so that your heart is transformed and now you can fill it with all the goodness and then out of that good heart you can fill your homes with new words and new legacy and a new future and a new hope and it can change. Do you want that heart?
text us, please email us your name to the number information I'll be on the screen. We'd love to help you take that next step wherever you are. Some of my friends will be up in the front here in a few moments and you can come up front and talk to them. We'd love to help you take that next step. The greatest decision you'll ever make is to be baptized where you receive forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'd love to help you take that next step. Today, we're ready for you. Do you want to change? More of him means less of you. Are you willing to trust him like that? Maybe just come up here and ask for prayer. We'd love to help you. Or hey, maybe your next step is to come back next week. I know this is tough, so keep coming back so you keep hearing God's word so that we can learn how to trust it. Next week is Mother's Day, so come. Invite your friends and your family. You're gonna have free family photos, some special snacks, um, and the message is on how a strong family can provide an oasis, a beautiful place for our family, our kids, and our future legacy. If you're a Christian, you can continue, you can worship and respond in this moment with communion. Each week when you come in, you can grab your communion. When you walk through those doors, you can peel back the covers. Uh, the, the bread represents Jesus' body and the blood, I mean, the juice represents his blood that was shed for us on that cross. And during this time, here's, if you're not a Christian, then I'm, I'm glad that you're here right now. Take this moment to reflect upon what you've heard and how you want to respond. If you're a Christian in this room, maybe right now your next best thing that you need to do is during this time of communion is to confess. Confess what you've said and what you've done in the last couple of weeks. Say, God, I'm sorry. And then ask for courage to go home today and apologize to who you need to apologize to. Kids, if you're a Christian, you need to apologize to your friends, your parents. Parents, you need to apologize to your kids. Husbands and wives, you need to apologize to one another. Christians, let's allow the Holy Spirit to renew our heart once again and leave this place encouraged, emboldened to treat others like we've been treated. He transforms our hearts, not just our minds. I'm going to say a prayer, and during this prayer, I really encourage you to pray along, to pray. If God were really listening to you, if you knew that God was going to meet you with grace and mercy, no matter what you tell him, no matter what you ask him, no matter what you confess to him, what would you pray? Pray that. So I'm going to challenge you right now. God, we love you. Thank you for your word that is trustworthy. Continue to help convict us and guide us to believe that your word is trustworthy. It is a good, firm foundation that we can build our lives upon and our marriages and our families upon. And so, God, we pray, pray, my prayer is that we would understand your word and apply it so that we can experience how good and how, man, how good it is. And that our marriages and our families would be transformed because we begin to experience that peace and harmony that you have for us as individuals and as families. And then the world around us would see what it, what it looks like, that your word isn't condemning. Your word brings life and life to an abundance. So I pray that many in this room or watching online today say yes to, to trusting you. Say yes, to, I want that new heart. And many of the Christians that are watching or here would allow to say, God, I need, I'm convicted to my core. I confess and I'm going to once again walk out of this place with a new heart. And I'm going to treat my wife and my husband and my kids differently. And it's in Jesus' name. And I pray these things. Amen.